The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So today I'd like to continue um, an exploration of what the Buddha taught about mindfulness, what he taught about basically meditation practice. And um, his main instructions for... Why don't you turn my volume down just a touch? His main instructions... Is that okay? Is that... Okay. Uh, His main instructions for meditation were offered in the... um, one of his discourses called the Satipatthana Sutta, often translated as meaning either the four foundations of mindfulness or the four um, establishments of mindfulness. And the, this sutta offers four areas, essentially, of our physical and mental experience on which we can connect our present moment attention. And that these particular areas, well, they don't exclude anything. Actually, they encompass all of our experience, but they provide a particular perspective that is helpful for us. So it's not just looking at things kind of, oh, yeah, things are happening in the present moment. It's things are happening, and how is it helpful to recognize what is helpful to recognize about what's happening? And so the four foundations include the body, looking at bodily experience, And uh, I've talked about looking at the breathing, observing the um, um, bodily experience, the kind of elemental bodily experience. Those are the main aspects that I explored in the foundation of body. And uh, the perspective there is to really get familiar with what is bodily experience, partly because we so often react to what's happening in our bodies and to begin to be able to distinguish that what's happening in our bodies from what's happening in our minds. That this is a very helpful perspective to begin to really clearly recognize this is bodily experience and then there's the mental component to our experience. The second foundation of mindfulness, which is the one I'd mostly like to talk about today, is mindfulness of feeling. And this feeling, the Pali word for, for feeling here is Vedna. And it is referring to not what we think of as emotion. The, the trans, there's no particular great word for translating what this means. Um, you know, the word feeling often is, is associated with broadly emotional feeling. Um, and the, that's not quite what's pointed to here. What's pointed to here is a particular aspect of feeling, which is whether things are pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And so this is, this is helpful partly because this aspect of our experience, whether things are pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, is sort of the, the leaping point or the springboard out of which that mental reactivity happens to us. You know, if there's bodily, there's bodily experience, you know, there's the, the pressure, the tension, the tightness, the pulling, the coolness, the heat, all of those things we explored in our exploration of the body. And then often there's a sense of those as being either pleasant or unpleasant. And that quality of whether they're pleasant or unpleasant is actually the key uh, sticking point for us, where we tend to uh, like the pleasant want to hold on to for the pleasant, 
uh, dislike the unpleasant, want to push it away. And so this, again, this is a really helpful place to explore because it, uh, it provides us with a window into how our minds move from just being with experience to reacting to experience. That's the second foundation in brief, and I'll, that's what I'll talk about more today. The third foundation is more about what the mind is doing. You know, how the mind is responding. So, you know, we look at that point of, of leaping, that point of reactivity, and then the next exploration is around how is our mind responding? What's our mind doing? Is it, is it reacting with greed, aversion, delusion? Is it reacting with balance? Is it reacting with non-greed, non-clinging? Is the mind pretty settled and concentrated? So the next exploration is around what's happening in our minds. And this is a key place of exploration in our practice because so much of what we struggle with isn't really what's actually happening out there. I mean, you know, the, the impingement of the world on us um, seems to be where, you know, what we're reacting to. That's what we, we, um, we think that it's because those things are happening that I'm reacting. And if those things didn't happen, then everything would be fine. And the uh, understanding, if we, and it's not just the understanding, the, the teaching of what the Buddha offered, but what we can begin to see in our own experience is that it's not so much, we're not so much reacting to the things themselves, but we're reacting to our interpretation of them. We're reacting to our... Uh, views, opinions, beliefs, ideas, agendas around what's happening to us. And so beginning to understand what the mind is doing is a key for helping to free us from the ways that we react to the world. The world is going to be the world. The world is going to produce and create horrible things. And I'm not saying that we won't feel that. You know, it's not that we're not going to feel very deeply the pain of a world. But we don't have to spin out around it. Our hearts can stay open and we can respond with compassion, open-heartedness to all of the stuff that happens not be, you know, actually, when we can open our hearts to what's happening and not be reactive, we can be much more effective as a source of stability and calming and support for the world. So our practice of learning how to be non-reactive doesn't mean that we're not responsive. It doesn't mean that we don't feel so the, the, that's a key for us to understand. In fact, in my experience, the heart letting go of reactivity and that contracting quality of resisting what's happening actually allows me to feel more deeply both the joy and the pain of the world. So exploring our mental reactivity and 
not only the mental reactivity, but also as that reactivity falls away, there tends to be an opening to that soft heart, that heart that can stretch to meet the world, that heart that can respond rather than react. And then the fourth foundation of mindfulness is um, kind of looking at uh, cause and effect, looking at how things are related, processes by which things unfold. So essentially watching the process of reactivity is coming to be. How's that happening? How's that unfolding? Or perhaps compassion is coming to be. How's that happening? How's that unfolding? So beginning to understand the um, um, cause and effect relationship in our experience. And I will go over all of these over the course of the next months. You know, it's going to be a while (laughs) that we're in this terrain of exploring this um, topic. So today I'd like to come into exploring this aspect of feeling. Feeling, sometimes talk about it as feeling tone to help highlight the sense that it is not just emotion, this is really a specific area of feeling. So, as I said before, this feeling tone is, there's actually a couple different ways it's explored in, in the suttas, a couple of different meanings. They're very related, but just different kind of angles or perspectives on this term. One of them is the actual experience in our mind, in our body, when we have contact with our senses. So there's you know, contact with our skin, contact with our eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and with our mind. So in the Buddhist understanding, the mind is, is, a, is a sense door. Things happen in the mind, and there is an impact. There's you know, experience in the mind, and then there's the mind that receives that experience. So much as the eye sees sight, the mind receives thought, receives emotion. So the mind is, is understood to be a kind of a sense door as well. So at all doors, sense doors, there's contact with experience. And every single contact that happens to us has this quality of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. So every single thing that happens to us has that aspect. And so part of the understanding of this exploration of feeling is to begin to attune to that quality, that aspect of experience. So recognizing when we have physical experience. Oh, is that pleasant? Is it unpleasant? that, That this feeling tone actually... It's happening to us all the time. Every single moment, every single sense contact has this quality of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. But we don't usually notice it. We're actually quickly reacting to it. We're quickly wanting to push away the unpleasant and hold on to the pleasant. The neutral, we often don't even notice at all. You know, it's like we space out around neutral often. So, the, um, so we don't often actually recognize, oh, pleasant's happening right now, or unpleasant's happening right now. We're quickly in the mode of liking, disliking, wanting to get rid of, wanting to hold on to. So if we can begin to actually recognize this quality, it serves us. 
so it's the, the one of the ways that the the term Vedana, this term about feeling tone, is used is to describe this actual uh, quality of our experience as pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. The other way it's talked about, and this is a little more subtle, um, it's, it's used, the same term is used to describe the process of the mind that does this feeling. So, you know, if we think about what's going on, our mental realm, the, the, the mind, this is, this is the Buddha's kind of psychology, I guess we could call it. He broke the mind up into like four streams of processes that happened. And these aren't, it, it, this isn't so much looking at this from a, you know, a neurological perspective or um, any kind of, um, you know, absolute these are the only four processes. But what the Buddha said is these are key processes. These are processes that we tend to get stuck to. So these are ones that are important to recognize, to understand. And so um, one of those processes, so the, the process of, of um, for instance, perception, of recognizing what's happening to us. And just, rec- you know, so the, the leaf blower was going earlier. And, you know, the sound was there. And then the mind was probably recognizing it, leaf blower. You know, it might have been saying that over and over again or seeing an image of a guy with a leaf blower. You know, that might have been happening to you. That's a part of this process of perception. You know, that's an aspect of our minds. So the Buddha identified that as being a key process in our minds, this aspect of perception. And then there's the aspect of intention, of kind of willing, of... Um, choosing, of deciding, that that aspect is also a very important process to understand in our minds. And then there's the process of knowing, a process by which we simply know essentially, you know, contact with body, contact with tongue, contact with ear door. So that just the very simple registering of knowing that there's something happening to our minds and bodies. And then this process of feeling, a process that the mind recognizes, registers, experiences pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. So he, he highlighted these as four key processes. And so the, the feeling is also talked about as a process of mind, not simply just the results. So really, it's, it's, it's both the process and the result. The, the word is used to, to refer to both the process and the result of that feeling. So the, um, this feeling, actually, this feeling process, the, the results of this process, are a very natural consequence of the way our minds and bodies evolved. You know, if you look at what, what goes on in, in uh, you know, even single-celled creatures, you know, there's a, a kind of a, uh, you know, we, I wouldn't say that they're consciously knowing, recognizing feeling, but they certainly recognize noxious environment and pleasant environment. You know, they, they move away from harsh chemicals and towards food. So, you know, there's kind of a, you know, very rudimentary form of this feeling in most forms of life. So there's that aspect that's kind of just in ourselves of moving towards pleasant, away from unpleasant. And this recognition of this, pleasant, unpleasant, what, what, what will support my well-being? What will take me away from well-being? You know, that, that whole process 
is um, kind of naturally in in our being. It's um, so in saying that you might think, well, is there any you know is there any possibility or any hope you know if you know, pleasant things I'm naturally drawn to and unpleasant things I'm naturally pulling away from, is there any hope to uh, not just simply automatically react? And fortunately, with our minds, the way they've been constructed, this aspect of reactivity is not hardwired. So this aspect of moving towards pleasant, away from unpleasant, is not hardwired in us as it seems to be in some of the, um, you know, like single-celled creatures. It, um, there is that aspect of intention can come in and choose our responses to experience. So our, you know, our evolution has actually uh, expanded our range of possibilities with respect to pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. So we're not locked into having to go towards what's pleasant push away what's unpleasant. We can use some wisdom in recognizing, you know, for instance, I go to the gym regularly. Every time I go to the gym, I am very conscious of the fact that I do not want to go to the gym. (laughs) I don't like the gym. The whole thing about the gym is unpleasant. You know, the music, the you know, the, the loud sounds, the, the, you know, the, the, the exercise, you know, it's physically unpleasant, you know, it, it's not, I don't like it, I don't, <laughs> I don't enjoy it. On the other hand, you know, I know this is really helpful for my well-being. I've been going to the gym now since last February, and it has made a huge difference in my health. So, you know, so I have the opportunity, the choice to go towards that unpleasantness because I understand at a deeper level that it's taking me towards well-being. So we have this choice. We have this place where we can um, look at, explore, understand. You know, is this a kind of pleasant that's helpful to move towards, to cultivate, or is this a kind of pleasant that's actually hooking me back into uh, suffering. And so another example of this, you know, from that perspective, I was driving home from the retreat that I was teaching on Sunday. Or actually, I was driving here. I had a class to teach. So I was driving down the hill, and um, my mind was pretty quiet. You know, having been sitting, teaching the retreat, practicing quite a bit there. My mind was pretty settled as I was driving down the hill, and there wasn't much traffic on 17, so it was, it was pretty pleasant <coughs> driving. And the mind was really you know, just feeling so settled. And I kind of habitually reached to turn on NPR. So I turned on the radio. And they were talking about the stars. I mean, you know, it was one of those you know, star things, you know, oh, look at the planets here, you know, that kind of thing. But it was so much information that my mind got heavy and constricted. So I felt that, and I just, like, I turned off the radio, you know. It's like, okay, so the mind recognized, essentially, that kind of unpleasant is worth avoiding, And the pleasantness of the settled still mind was worth 
cultivating. So we begin to understand through our practice what kinds of, um, you know, so uh, yeah, essentially we, we really begin to distinguish kinds of pleasant that are helpful for us. You know, what's, it's, it, and, and so this process of moving towards pleasant away from unpleasant begins to serve us the more we understand which kinds of unpleasant and which kinds of pleasant, or which kinds of unpleasant we need to avoid and which kinds of pleasant we want to move to. So the, you know, the unpleasantness that comes from being agitated and distracted. You know, in, in my, so the, the last couple days, I've you know, gotten more back into my normal mode of my mind and the, the, distra- the mind is more distracted than it was. And so there's a level of distraction that, um, you know, I'm not noticing so much when I turn on the radio that uh, it's adding distraction. You know, so it's not so clear in my present moment experience that turning on the radio is creating a, a, a cycle back into that distractedness. I have to remember, I have to remember, yeah, I know f- from experience the other day that that, uh, that is creating kind of a hook back into that distractedness to turn on the radio. So we, we begin to learn that, uh, you know, which, which kinds of pleasant and unpleasant serve us in terms of... Um, moving towards a deeper settledness, a deeper kind of happiness. And in this way, actually, the the natural gravitation towards pleasant and away from unpleasant serves us the more we begin to understand what truly moves us to a deeper kind of well-being and what keeps us hooked into a kind of a distracted, um, unsettled state of mind. So then we can kind of let go almost as we, as we uh, explore our experience. And the, the, the wisdom that gets cultivated as we recognize pleasant, unpleasant, and begin to recognize which is helpful, pleasant, unhelpful, pleasant. <laughs> what, what, what are the, what are the uh, which, which direction do we want to go? As the mind begins to understand that more deeply, we can begin to trust that our, our mind and body will kind of naturally gravitate towards well-being in a way that's skillful. You know, we're, we're set up to try to, I mean, I think the evolutionary process is set up to try to move us to well-being, but there's so much in our brains and so much of our history and so much of our conditioning that um, thinks it understands what will lead to our well-being, adds layers of views and opinions about what will lead to our well-being. Yeah, if I have more money, I'll be happy. Yeah, if I can listen to that radio program, I'll be happy. You know, we think we know what's going to make us happy. And that is a misunderstanding. A lot of what we think is going to take us to well-being is a misunderstanding. And so we begin to reveal those layers of misunderstanding. And as those misunderstandings fall away, the mind naturally, more naturally gravitates to what leads us to well-being. So the Buddha highlighted this process of feeling as being a key place for us to recognize in our experience 
because it is so tied into that leaping into reactivity. He described a very simple process that's almost automatic if we're not mindful. If we're not present, this process will unfold. And this, this process um, is that of you know, contact. We're being contacted by the world. So there's sense impression, body sense impression, mental sense impression. That sense impression, every single one of them has a feeling tone to it. It's pleasant, it's unpleasant, it's neutral. And if we're not aware of that, our habitual tendencies around those pleasant, unpleasant experiences will come into operation. For most of us, we tend to gravitate towards pleasant, want more of it, we like it, we want to hang on to it, get more of it. For most of us, unpleasant, we tend to not like it, want to push it away. So we move into kind of an aversion. And then from there, we begin to identify. Once we, you know, push something away or or hold on to something, we begin to say, well, that's what I need. You know, I need to get rid of those things. I need to have these things in order to feel okay. So that that process around feeling leads from wanting, kind of holding on to, to a sense of, I need this. This, it has to be this way. And that's really where the suffering comes in because it's no longer in line or in tune with like the flow, the natural flow of changing experience. We're kind of like trying to stop that flow, create a, a, um, a world that's stable for us, unchanging so that we can say, yes, I figured it out now. This is, this is what will make me happy. So we try to stop that flow, and um, the inevitability of the change will lead us to suffering. So if, we are, if we're counting on these, having these things to make us feel good about ourselves or having this set of conditions to make us feel like things are okay... We will suffer when conditions change, and they inevitably will change. So there's this this kind of natural causal process that unfolds around contact, feeling, then the the liking, not liking, the the wanting to have, wanting to get rid of, the having, the holding, the pushing away, and the identification around it. When we're not mindful, that process pretty much happens automatically. Automatically. You know, so where's our hope here? Our hope is in the mindfulness itself, in the awareness, to begin to see how this process unfolds. So the Buddha instructed about mindfulness of feeling really simple. You know, the instructions, I, I was going to bring it here and read it, but it's so simple I can pretty much tell you what he says. He says, so how does one pay attention to feelings? Well, if there's a pleasant feeling, one knows there's a pleasant feeling. If there's an unpleasant feeling, one knows there's an unpleasant feeling. If there's a neutral feeling, one knows there's a neutral feeling. That's it. Well, that's not quite it. There's a little bit more. There's a little bit more there which has to do with that. And and I was thinking, you know, I might go into this more on another class. Um, A little bit more that has to do with that recognition that there are some kinds of pleasant 
and unpleasant that are more associated with the ways that we cling, the ways that we hold on, you know, the sense pleasant and unpleasant essentially, you know. And then there's some other kinds of pleasant and unpleasant that are more associated with the path of waking up. So the pleasant and the pleasantness around compassion, joy, happiness, generosity, kindness, the pleasantness around equanimity, around tranquility, those that, that, so he distinguishes kinds of pleasant actually and he he suggests that we recognize oh this is what what he calls a worldly pleasant so a worldly pleasant being like the pleasantness of you know having soft clothes and being warm and being comfortable that's the worldly pleasant the pleasant of being able to be at ease with the body when it's uncomfortable that's what he calls an unworldly pleasant feeling so, or, or we could perhaps say a, a, a meditative pleasant feeling, kind of. So he, he distinguishes those two, and he says it's helpful to recognize the difference between those two. But basically, you know, the first instruction is notice. Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it neutral? And know. Know that it's pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. So just very simple. So the description is simple. But sim- simplicity and easy are two different things. <laughs> so the, the actual recognition of this, it begins, it takes a little bit of um, attuning to this quality. You know, it's, it's, actually, it's actually pretty clear once we start attuning to it. And when we begin to understand this is helpful for us to pay attention to, it's kind of, it, it kind of becomes a little bit easier to tune into. So, for instance, you know, if you're having a meal, you know, actually paying attention while you're eating is a great place to check into pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. So, you know, while you're chewing, you know, when you put the food in your mouth, what aspects are pleasant? What aspects are unpleasant? Is the pleasantness um, the same all the way through the experience? So, you know, eating my oatmeal in the morning, you know, generally that is a pleasant thing for me. I enjoy oatmeal. There's a little bit, I put lots of different fruits in my oatmeal. And so if I get a bite with a large portion of grapefruit, there's a little bit of bitterness. And I wouldn't say it's exactly unpleasant because I kind of like the way the bitterness goes with the, the flavors. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, I wouldn't exactly call it like, so there's, there, there's that pleasant of that bitterness. And then when I get the orange with the oatmeal, it's like a burst of like happiness. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, that, oh, that's good. <laughs> so there's, that, there's that kind of little bit more realm of pleasant with the, with the orange with the oatmeal. So the extra sweetness is experienced as more strongly pleasant than the bitterness of the grapefruit. So there's, the, there's kind of a range for us of pleasant to unpleasant. And so it's not just like these you know, single valence things, oh, pleasant or unpleasant. There's, there's much more of a range, and I think we have a sense of that. You know, For many of us, like ice cream is pleasant, you know, the, that experience. So if you can attune to the pleasantness or unpleasantness, you can begin to have a doorway into seeing how we begin to 
You, know, you put that bite of ice cream in your mouth and the pleasantness is there. If you're not really taking in that pleasantness, you're probably reaching for the next bite of ice cream to get more pleasant without even knowing that the pleasantness is happening, without even really cogniz- being cognizant of the pleasant that's there. The body is just so habitually more pleasant, more pleasant, that it's just shoveling the ice cream in your mouth without even really taking in the pleasant itself. So this, there's a benefit to this practice because you really get to experience the pleasantness of what's happening. You also really get to experience the unpleasantness and see how the mind will immediately kind of move away from that. And in watching this process, one of the benefits of watching this process is that you can see, for instance, you know, there, there may be an unpleasantness of you know, a little bit of, of pain in the back or something. And you know, you, you, um, you know, while you're meditating, maybe a little bit of that pain in your back. So there's that unpleasant quality there. And if it's not recognized and the mind is immediately reacting, there's a lot of then mental um, unpleasantness that's generated as well. Because not only do our physical sensations have pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, but our mental states also are pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. So, you know, aversion tends to be unpleasant. So if you have a bodily unpleasant experience and then you add aversion to that, you've got a double dose of unpleasant on on you. And that unpleasantness tends to have a feedback loop you know, that you then, that, that tends to create more unpleasantness, so you get more averse, which adds l- another layer of unpleasant, so it tends to, to create a kind of a cycle of unpleasant feeding unpleasant, with the reactivity feeding the, uh, the cycle of unpleasant. And so if you can see this, if you can see, oh, okay, so there's the unpleasantness in the back, so what's going on there? You know, there's that unpleasantness. And can I... Uh, notice that, and then notice the whole mental reactivity as well, uh, you may start to see in seeing there's a distinction between the physical unpleasant and the mental unpleasant. You might start to recognize, you know, that, that, pl- that pain in my back, you know, it's kind of just a little niggling thing, you know, and it's not that bad. I mean, sometimes it is. I mean, absolutely. Sometimes things, physical things can be really, really unpleasant. But really check in. What is the actual unpleasantness? So much of our experience of unpleasant is created in our minds. So when we can begin to distinguish those two, we, we begin to see that so much of it is the mind cramping and clamping down, being averse to unpleasantness, that uh, when that mental reactivity begins to loosen, we experience much ease, much more ease. So watching this pleasant, unpleasant unfolding begins to to show us just how we... um, it's kind of that that's the damming of the flow the stopping of the flow you know we're trying to stop the pain by being averse to it in a way you know but the that actually tends to create more pain with the pleasant one of the things i found around pleasant that's interesting is that i can be so 
unaware of the pleasant. And yet, at the same point, like, you know, consciously unaware of the pleasant, but some part of my mind is trying to construct, yeah, this is right, this is good, how do I keep this? So one example, which I've, I've um, used before, is I was driving down uh, a street near my house, and the mind was just propelling into the future. It was just, you know, going off, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I gotta do this, and it's like incredible restless mind trying to figure out how to orient, plan my future. And it was like, whoa, that's a lot of stuff going on. Let me just come back to driving. You know, I'm going to put my hands on the steering wheel, pay attention to the hands on the steering wheel. And a split second later, the mind would be off again, back into that terrain of planning. And I'd come back. I did this several times. And at some point, it's like, well, what is actually happening here? You know, what's going on? And it's kind of a stepping back. What's happening? And what I discovered in that moment was that I was really happy. There was a lot of pleasant experience in my mind in the present moment. I was really happy. And in that moment, I saw that what the mental propulsion was, was trying to figure out, how can I keep this? And I hadn't even really experienced or knew that I was happy. (laughs) I had talked myself out of happiness. But it was still it was still kind of there, you know. I could I could touch into it as I let go of that propelling into the future. Yeah. And why don't you use the mic? And it may not be on, so turn it on. Tur- turn it on. Would you turn it on? It's on the side, just under the tape. It's on. Okay. You have finally helped make sense out of the children's song. It goes, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's exactly what the Buddha is pointing to. If you're happy and you know it. <laughs> um, yeah, let, yeah, let's go ahead and take some questions. I've got so much more to say, but let's take the last 12 minutes and we'll have a discussion and we'll pick up on this next month. <laughs> um, I'm uh, listening to a teacher that says, if things are, um, um, if things are happening that you don't like, that you should accept them as if you had chosen them. Hmm. Now, I know that's true. Sometimes I hear things that I know are true, but I don't know what to do with it. What and do you I, mean you don't know what to do with it? I don't, how how, I, to, how I, to move to that acceptance? Yes, yeah, right. I see, uh-huh. Um, so, you know, the, the, there, is, there is a way that, um, I mean, I think perhaps the, the acceptance in that, the languaging of that, may bring in the notion that when we choose something, we generally, you know, when we consciously choose something, we generally um, think it's going to serve us somehow. You know, we think it's going to, um, um, you know, make us feel better or make us feel good in some way. And so, in a, in a sense, when we actively choose something, we tend to be heading towards liking. You know, we're, we tend to be heading towards liking. And so the word acceptance sometimes, you know, if, uh, or that, that notion of accepting as if I have chosen it, 
sometimes we think what that means is, I have to like this thing. As if I've chosen it, meaning that this thing is happening and I have to like it. Acceptance doesn't have anything to do with liking or not liking. It's more about can I recognize this is the way it is and can I acknowledge that? Can I, can I you know, not rail against reality? You know, essentially, it is. This, this experience is. So can I not rail against reality about that? And without railing against reality, you know, without saying, you know, this is wrong, it shouldn't be that way. I mean, well, it is this way. Yeah. Um, so there's that acknowledgement. Uh, it's kind of coming into alignment with truth. That's what I think of as acceptance. Coming into alignment with truth. It is like this. And then if we're not reacting to that truth, we can, uh, you know, the reactivity tends to be kind of automatic. You know, it's, it's, um, it's that, you know, get rid of this, hold on to this. If we're not reacting to that truth, then we can more skillfully have our heart open and, and have a sense of what's a skillful response to this truth. So, and that's the other piece around that, that languaging that may be a little confusing, is that um, accepting something as if I had chosen it would mean, well, if I've chosen it, then I'd not want to change it, right? And that's not, what's ha- that's not what acceptance means either. Acceptance doesn't mean sitting back and saying, oh, it's like this and, you know, I'll just let that be, you know, just something that I, I sometimes use an example. You know, you're walking down the street and you see a child starting to run out in front of a car. You don't go so, oh, things as they are. <laughs> you know, you, you take action. You, you try to pull that child back from the, you know, the, 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 the street. So it's, you know, that's a skillful response you know, so it, it's, uh, it's not about, acceptance is not about liking and not liking, and it's also not about non-doing. Well, I think that, that what you said that's helped me is that I don't have to like it. Um, and just little thing, it's helped me quite a bit with, like, writing thank you notes, sending Christmas cards, some of, the, some of those things that I, I can see just changing my attitude um, is 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 pleasant. Yes. Yeah. So so it, it it's it's been a good thing for me to have in my head, and um, but I, I you help me a lot by just saying I don't have to like it. I just it is as as it is. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Anyone anyone else? Yeah. This is probably for your um, part three, but, um, <laughs> but I'm just wondering if there's a place for outrage. A place for outrage. Um, you know, again, the, um, um, certainly there's a place for everything in our practice. If outrage is coming up, it needs to be felt, known, um, explored. 
and, and recognized, I mean, in that outrage, my guess is some of it has a connection to um, the wish that harm had not happened. You know, some of it's connected to that compassionate wish. So some of that outrage is connected to beautiful qualities. And I think that's partly what we, you know, at, some of that outrage is also connected to anger, to hatred, often. You know, when I think of outrage in my mind, it all, also has that aspect of, of, of hatred and wanting to lash out at times. So the, you know, that quality of outrage, what I think we need to look at in the exploration of it is what parts are contracted and what parts are open. Where is the heart open in that outrage? And that is in the, in the realm of opening to the suffering, opening to the, the pain of experience. The, um, the anger, you know, we don't actually have to be angry in order to act to right a wrong. You know, that's another way that I think we misunderstand, we misunderstand our minds, you know. In a way, we think we have to be angry at something in order to take action against it. We can take action against something out of compassion rather than out of anger. And so that's the place to explore in outrage, but not to repress it at all. I mean, but to begin to look at what is that, what is that feeling and which parts of it feel tight and pulled in and wanting, or wanting to lash out and um, out of, out of uh, hatred and hostility? And what parts are more, oh, you know, I mean, the, the, the heart of compassion both has the movement to want to act to alleviate the suffering of the world, and it also deeply feels the suffering. It's an, it's an interesting emotion because it, both has um, the sense of the suffering and the heaviness and the uh, ache of suffering. And it has, oh, I'd call it kind of a squishy quality. You know, it doesn't feel hard. It feels, um, it feels like a gel a medium of like a gel that that can take in and like you know if the suffering's coming in as waves, it allows those waves to be um, felt, not repressed, but also it it allows it allows them to not be overwhelming. You know, like if you think of some strong energy going through a gel, you know, it doesn't prevent its moving through it, but it also it kind of. Uh, um, creates a smoother flow to it. So it's kind of, it feels kind of that way. The, sometimes the, the, wor- the compassion is described as a quivering of the heart in response to suffering. And that quivering is not simply the quivering. It also includes that wish to act. And while it, it, it includes that sense of um, really deeply feeling the suffering, the heart feels like it's breaking um, there's also a kind of a, because the heart is not contracted, 
there's a, uh, a beautiful quality to it as well. You know, it's, a, it's, a beautiful, it's a beautiful emotion, compassion. It, and that there's nothing in the way from stepping forward to act. So that's the exploration I'd look at around outrage. You know, not to judge yourself for it and also to, be, to begin to see which parts are uh, getting in the way of that quivering. Any other, any other comments? Yeah, right there. Um, so as we're sitting here and as you were speaking, I was, um, I'm tired. So um, this may not be that different from what you described, feeling happy and then wanting to do all these things. But, you know, so, so there's a sense of tiredness, and, and, and that's coloring. It's like a filter that's coloring yes. everything else. Uh-huh. Um, but things are complex, and so there's good things, bad things happening while I'm experiencing it through this filter. Yes. Um, so... Well, that's a question somehow, um, and, and um, I don't understand that. So, you know, how does how does the interplay of of all these different things work together? So, yeah, that's that's a. I've got two minutes. Let's see. Um, what can I say that might be helpful in two minutes? Um, so, the filter that you talk about, you know that. Um, that can tend to that 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 filter. There is the tiredness, and if you can um, actually acknowledge the tiredness, there's probably both a physical and mental component to that tiredness. So that's a good place to begin to actually recognize. So what is the impact? How does this tiredness manifest? How do I feel that? So. There's probably a whole host of pleasant and unpleasant experiences happening around that. The, uh, the filter probably is a kind of, um, the actual filter on experience is probably partly an idea of tiredness. You know, that, that the, um, the mind recognizes all of these sensations, both mental and physical, it recognizes the pleasant or unpleasant qualities to that. And actually, if you look, what I've seen is when I really look at tiredness, if I'm not resisting tiredness, there's some sensations that may be unpleasant. And some sensations, actually, when I'm not resisting it, that are quite pleasant. You know, so if you're not resisting the experience, and this is where you know, really looking at what is the actual experience, what is pleasant, what is unpleasant, actually becoming conscious of the pleasant and unpleasant begins to reveal to us how the interplay between um, resistance you know, to our pleasant, unpleasant experience, mostly the unpleasant resistance, then feeds back and creates this kind of filter through which it seems like there's a monolith of tiredness as opposed to this you know, changing experience. And the idea, I'm tired, things are unpleasant, begins to attune ourselves to find the unpleasantness. So it kind of, it cycles back on itself in a way. 
So if you can actually come in, and this is where the Buddha really recommended that looking at the feeling tone itself begins to cut this cycle. You know, if you actually attune, well, what are the actual pleasant experiences? What are the actual unpleasant experiences? It begins to like open a a, uh, a gateway into uh, seeing that we, we don't necessarily have to react to those experiences. So you, you may find that if you can actually attune to... For, so if you're tired and it feels like that's the overarching thing in your experience, see if you can settle in and find, well, what's pleasant, what's unpleasant about that tiredness? And, you know, not to try to stop it, not to try to change it, but just to open to, oh, this is what it's actually like to be tired. When I've done that, it's like, you know, the, I, the mind ha- you often has some agenda or some idea. I have to do something. I have to explore something. So even sitting here in meditation, we have the idea, I have to be mindful. I have to bring my attention to my breathing. You know, and that's tiring. You know? It's like the mind is exhausted. It's like, well, if you, if you allow the mindfulness to connect with what's most obvious, what's actually happening is, oh, tired. Yeah, tired. Okay, well, yeah, I can feel tired. That's pretty easy because that's the most obvious thing that's happening. Now, I don't have to try to be with my breath right now. I mean, let's just feel tired. When you cannot resist that, it, it, it becomes much, um, much more straightforward to actually meet what's, what's happening in the moment. And that's more than I should have said because it's two minutes after 11 now and we should stop. So, so um, I will be away for three weeks so there's the two, the two weeks, and then the following week I'm up at Spirit Rock. So I'll be back. But that following week there will be someone here. You know, there, Kathy Cheney will be here. I think she came not long ago. So enjoy your holidays.